Over the last month, we've been listening intently to how Jesus calls his disciples to change, to forget their old ways of being, to become more like him. We have heard of a storm at sea and the invitation to move from fear to faith. And we've considered how we might brave that change for ourselves as well. We have seen Jesus gather, equip, and send his disciples with very little preparation and also send us all to receive hospitality and be a blessing wherever we are, whoever we're with. We have heard the call to not be a people too concerned with the destination rather than simply knowing the way. And we have seen the transformation from a religion of empty rituals into life-changing relationships. This week, we continue to draw ourselves close to the disciples of Jesus as they are challenged, invited, and called to change. This time, watching as they learn their lesson, almost in real time as the scriptures unfold. What we've heard this morning is not um, three disjointed episodes in the life of the disciples following Jesus. Rather, they flow into each other and build off of one another. We have just heard and witnessed, in fact, a threefold lesson of Jesus to his disciples in gentleness. Immediately before what we heard today, Jesus has foretold his death. But the disciples didn't understand, and Luke says they were afraid to ask him what he meant. So when you don't understand what your teacher meant, what better thing to distract you from the confusion you must be feeling than to start an argument among your friends? So this is exactly what the disciples do. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. I mean, Jesus is clearly the most important person here, but the position of number two seems to still be open. Who will be at Jesus' side when his mission is accomplished? It's probably best to sort that out now before there's an awkward moment in Jerusalem or worse, in Rome. But Jesus, aware of their inner thoughts, took a little child and put it by his side. Jesus, aware of their concern for position and rank and honor, takes a child. A child who cannot hold a sword and so will be useful in any rebellion. A child who likely has not been taught Torah by a rabbi and so will be useless in any religious conversation. Takes a child who is helpless and without rank or obvious importance or any honor and places this child at his side. Jesus almost doesn't need to say anything more for his point to be made, but he does. He says, Whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For the, the least among all of you is the greatest. Greatness stands alongside the ignored. Greatness is associated with the lowly and the downtrodden. Great people are not those who are too busy for children or lepers or the poor, but those who take up their cause and lay down their own pride. 
who are gentle in spirit and mindful of others, not only themselves. This child is irrelevant to everything the disciples care about. And Jesus tells them, if you welcome this child in my name, you welcome me. The least among you is the greatest. Violence, strength, competition, these are the tools of the powerful and the privileged in our world. Jesus sets all of that aside and highlights the real value of gentleness. Gentleness, which is strength that is used toward the purpose of lifting others up. Humility, which allows us to value the great worth of even those who the world will ignore. Competition will get the disciples nowhere. Pride of place cannot exist when one follows Jesus who left his place at the Father's hand to become a servant of the whole world. These disciples should not be concerned for who among them is the greatest, but they should remember that they are servants following a servant. They are a humble people who are still learning humility. Strength, we must remember, is not the opposite of gentleness. Strength is, in fact, assumed when a person is gentle. That's what makes them gentle and not simply weak. Rather, it is pride that is the opposite of this kind of gentleness, a concern for yourself over others, a haughtiness about what is owed to you, or an arrogance about the order that things should be, how things should ultimately come together. This is what we have seen in the disciples in this first interaction, pride undermining the gentleness of the Spirit among them. And pride continues to be a great danger for all who follow Jesus, that we would be in competition with one another rather than using our strengths to support each other in our shared ministry and purpose. Too often, We use strength to our own advantage. This is our natural inclination, to see that our objectives are met and that other people can truly appreciate our greatness. But the gentleness that Jesus calls us to requires that we choose a different path, to be mindful of others before ourselves, over any sense of what's right or wrong in our own minds, to not act to puff ourselves up or to assert our own rights, but to gladly lower ourselves for the sake of others. But, John says, but, most translations will point out that John interrupts answering Jesus. John hears Jesus' rebuke, understands that the twelve disciples ought not compete among themselves or seek power for their own purposes, but, Master, We saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Now this is interesting. Somebody else is casting out demons in Jesus' name, not merely trying to. And the disciples decide that they should stop him. Why? Why stop somebody who's casting out demons in the name of Jesus Well, perhaps the disciples are worried that this man is abusing Jesus' name, that he's not actually following Jesus. 
If that were the case, we maybe would expect John to say something like, we try to stop him because he's not following you. This is not what John says. John says, we try to stop him because he does not follow with us. John, it seems, has only partly learned his lesson. And if competition among the twelve isn't okay, he reasons that Jesus still must understand the important role of these twelve disciples in his ministry to the world. That this other man is usurping their authority, threatening their ministry and mission, and so is in need of that same kind of reminder of his true place in the order of Jesus' kingdom. Jealousy springs up. Pride has been rebuked and jealousy springs up. Jealousy springs up in the hearts of disciples and apostles. I've seen it and heard it confessed from the lips of pastors, elders, and leaders. We never, it seems, truly outgrow our schoolyard inclinations. Jealousy is now their focus. And Jesus corrects John, saying, do not stop him. For whoever is not against you is for you. A second lesson in gentleness. That when our hearts are so tuned to assume opposition, to keep our guard up, to fear the threat of the other, Jesus says that in fact, whoever is not against us is for us. That the question we put to others should not be, are they for us, but rather, are they against us? And if they are not against you, that you should trust that they are for you. This man casting out demons in Jesus' name, how could he be understood to oppose the disciples, to be against them? He cast out demons. Are the disciples now in league with demons? No. The only way they could have believed that he opposed them was if they also believed that any participation he might have in the ministry of Jesus is a threat to their ministry, to their value, to their worth. They assume, like so many of us do, that everything is a zero-sum game, that every success of another person that every skill of someone else is a knock against us, a threat to our worth. In responding to this misplaced belief of the disciples and the insecurity of their hearts, the Egyptian patriarch Cyril of Alexandria says of this passage, there is a great diversity in Christ's gifts. That What he's saying, what he's reminding us of, is that it is not only those who are precisely as the disciples are, who are following Jesus with them, who should receive gifts from God to participate in Jesus' mission. How often is that still a mistake the church continues to make? We seek peace and unity among our people, But we define that term so narrowly that it is only those who follow Jesus with us, not those across the street who worship by speaking in tongues, not those just down the road whose sanctuaries are filled with incense, 
not those who were once a part of following with us, but have since felt led by Jesus to follow in another community and in other ways. How often do we continue to make the same mistake of these disciples and believe that the way of gentleness ought to begin and end at the doors of our church, of our family, of our people, and ought not to be extended to those who are unlike us in even the most minor and trivial ways, that in differing from us they have somehow opposed us, as if in not following with the disciples, this man had rejected them and opposed them. No, Jesus says, whoever is not against you, really and truly against you, is for you. Be gentle and kind toward them as well. Well, now we might think that we're getting somewhere. The disciples now understand that not only are they called to humility and kindness, setting aside pride among themselves, but they've also been challenged to not define everything as an us-versus-them game, to not harbor jealousy in their hearts, to consider that, in fact, the default posture we ought to have toward one another is to be for each other, and to assume the same in return. So we're in a good place. Let's see what happens next. The days drew near for Jesus to be taken up. He set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. The disciples still have those words of Jesus ringing in their ears. Whoever is not against you is for you. And they go to the Samaritan village where they are denied hospitality. This is a grave insult in the ancient world and still in some parts of the world today. But it's also an insult that was not uncommon between Jews and Samaritans. In fact, it was that Jesus was a Jewish man headed to Jerusalem where the temple was, the very key difference between the Samaritans and the Jews that was the reason for this rejection. So these Samaritans, the disciples' reason, are against them. These people are against them, so the shackles of gentleness must be off. They have been denied hospitality, and their master's work has been threatened in some way. So James and John, the sons of thunder, they offer a solution that they are confident that their master will approve of. Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven to consume them? What? What does Jesus, who doesn't want you arguing among yourselves about who's the greatest, who won't let you stop an exorcist from casting out demons because of your own egos, does that same Jesus want you to incinerate a village of men, women, and children with fire from heaven because they won't provide for your lodging? It's ridiculous to consider. It's upsetting to say 
Yet something in the hearts of these disciples says this is a reasonable response. That the line for gentleness must end when we have been personally wronged. When we have identified our enemies. That this is finally when we can wield power, enact violence, prove to the world our greatness that we are not to be trifled with. I'm afraid this sounds familiar to how we so often act when we've been wronged, that we lash out, lash out in anger, use words that are harsh and cruel and cutting, that we find our hearts are really quite hard. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. We do not hear the rebuke of Jesus, but having just witnessed this lesson in gentleness in two previous episodes, immediately prior to this, we can imagine what that rebuke must have sounded like. The disappointment in Jesus' voice, the reminder that loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us is in fact to the exclusion of calling fire down from heaven. That God has not dealt so harshly with us, though we were his enemy and instead became our servant. In many ways, this conclusion to a threefold lesson on gentleness is something of an anticlimax. But perhaps this is because the disciples could not yet fully learn the extent of the change Jesus was calling out of them. Perhaps it is not until you see the Messiah and Son of God hung on a cross and his first words are not a curse but a blessing. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Perhaps it is not until you see that moment that you can realize the depth of the call of Christ to relinquish power and revenge and greatness in the pursuit of of the Spirit's far better fruit of gentleness. Church, I'm not sure of all the places where pride threatens a gentle spirit among us, but the call of Christ is to find greatness in the very least. I can't tell you all the ways that jealousy and competition aim to rob kindness from our interactions with each other and our broader communities. But the word of our Lord is clear that whoever is not against us is for us. I can't imagine all the pain, sorrow, and rage that demands retribution that somebody would hurt like we do and perhaps far worse. But Jesus rebukes such desire because all who follow him must learn his gentle way. May these words of our teacher become in increasing measure the ways of each of our lives and of our life together. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We want this word from God to speak into each of our lives and our life as a church. And we believe that it does. And we just need to pay attention to how the Spirit uses 
it to speak to us. And so we have a couple of reflection questions for you to pray about, journal about, discuss with those who are near you. The first is simply where is pride, jealousy, and anger robbing you of kindness and gentleness? Who might you need forgiveness from? And the second question is, how might you work with the Spirit to be gentle this week? So we'll just leave a couple of minutes for you to consider these questions for your life.